Turn with me, if you'd like, to the book of Job, chapter 1. We'll read three verses of Scripture there for our text this morning. Job, chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, and we'll read through verse 20 through 22, the last three verses of this first chapter. Probably be very familiar as we read it. Job 1, reading at verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And we're going to title our subject this morning, God's Sovereignty. Dealing specifically with Job's statement in the latter part of verse 21. The Lord gave... The Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God's sovereignty is certainly throughout that 100% in what Job said. Now we would begin by contemplating the subject of God's sovereignty, what it is and how much it is believed. And it has been my experience that many people in general, if they believe in God, will admit to believing God's sovereignty. However, you may have had the same experience I have. Many who say that do not. And many who say they believe in the sovereignty of God, when they say it, may not even themselves understand that what they're believing in is only a partial belief in God's sovereignty. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign over everything, and if we're to believe properly about God, then we must believe He is totally and completely sovereign. Not over some things, but over all things. And Job is making exactly that proposition to us when he says the Lord gives and the Lord take us away blessed be the name of the Lord seems like most everybody believes that God is sovereign in the manner of salvation if they believe in God Genesis 1 and 2 usually is pretty well commonly accepted in that regard however many times the very persons who believe that when it comes to the matter of God being sovereign in the salvation of sinners find that very unappealing so again what degree of sovereignty do you believe in how much do you believe deism comes up here because that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about partial sovereignty deism is a term that refers to someone who believes that yes there is god and that indeed god did create but that's all we know he made it and now whatever he is or whoever he is and wherever they are or whatever he's just sitting back and watching to see what will happen kind of like kind of like jonah after he preached in Nineveh, he just kind of went out and sat to see, sat back and, you know, see what's going to happen. Well, that's deism in that. And that's a partial sovereignty. Deists believe that there is a God, but that, that God is only revealed as we see him in nature 
and with the light of reason, which to us would kind of be the conscience or understanding that God has given men created in his image above beasts, but that that's it. So no acknowledgement that the Bible is the word of God, no acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the very God or any of that. It reminds me this, uh, and they certainly don't believe that God intervenes in any of the affairs of either the creation or mankind. In other words, it reminds me of when we were boys and we wrapped that string around a top. And you'd spin that top, and once you spun it and turned it loose, it was on its own. You didn't know how long it was going to spin You didn't know where all it was going to traverse across the floor. You didn't know when it was going to stop, and you didn't know when and where it was going to fall over. That's what a deist believes, that God set things, created and set things in motion, but after that, he just stepped back. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't intervene, and it's all left up to the things he created to work it all out on their own. That's a deist point of view. Job certainly didn't believe that in his statement The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is what we should be, which we would call contrary to deism, monotheistic. There is the theist, which believes in a God that not only created, but is sovereign. And there's degrees of this. And there is polytheism, where like the Athenians, you believe in many gods. But those gods are involved in the affairs of men and the creation. Well, we're, Job was monotheistic, and so are we. We believe that God has revealed himself not only through our conscience and writing the law of God upon our heart, made in his likeness and in his image. He's not only revealed himself in nature, but he has revealed himself through his word and ultimately through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So believe in a plurality of gods we believe god created everything with design with purpose and that god works all things according to his own will to his own predestinated decrees and purpose in every detail nothing left out no exceptions so that's kind of the simplest and most direct monotheistic view that I could give you. So our God created, and he didn't kick back or set back. He created with purpose, and he has been always and will always be involved, not in some things, but in everything that has been created. For as Romans eleven thirty six says, by him, through him, and to him are all things. He is involved. There's nothing he's not involved in. He not only made it, but the deist view gives us the idea, well, he could make it, but he couldn't control it or administer it or what have you. And that's what people do a lot of times. We we can make things out of control. One of the simplest things is light a match. You, you, you can make something pretty big in a hurry, but it can get out of your control, can't it? Many things get out of our control. Nothing's ever got outside of God's control. Hebrews 1 says in verse 3 that he upholdeth. Verse 2 says he made it all, Jesus Christ. And verse 3 says he upholdeth it all by the word of his power. That's just like the undergirdings of a bridge. You know those concrete pillars? 
it upholds. I had a preacher friend, he was very fond of that term, undergird. It is a good term. It's a wonderful term. God undergirds and upholds the creation just like he undergirds and upholds us by the Holy Spirit and by his word and so forth. So, God is the administrator of all things he has created. He upholds it. He keeps everything where it's supposed to be, where he wants it, where he's designed it to fulfill its purpose. Uh, a scientific illustration would fit here with the orbits, the stars, and everything that's out there, and God keeping them exactly in their place, specifically the earth. And you've heard the scientific things that even the scientists admit that the earth is tilted at exactly the right angle. It rotates at exactly the perfect orbit, and just one degree of, of miscalculation or, or a movement from that would be disastrous for all of us we'd either burn up or we'd freeze to death but god has kept that there and given us four seasons again we marvel at god but that's the god we believe in and science gives us those wonderful details so that we can appreciate him more he is omniscient he is omnipresent and he is omnipotent the three o's in that respect so that's the monotheistic god of the bible that job believed in and we should too. Let's look at the three things that Job said that manifested this. And as we begin to, let me say to you again, contemplate, meditate with me that statement, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Anybody who was not in Job's circumstances when he said that could very easily say that. Let's, let's appreciate this for a moment, shall we? Consider you and me right now saying that. It would almost seem like a rhetorical statement, wouldn't it? And you can say it believing it. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a pretty day. The sun's shining. You're sitting here. You're not sick. You're not dying. You're not coughing. You're not this, that. And I mean, you know. Uh, we've got a little change in our pocket, hopefully a little in the bank. We've got a dry house to go to. When we, you know, very easy to say that. But consider chapter 1, Job had just lost it all. And he didn't have a little bit to lose. He had a lot to lose. You see the difference? In a time of prosperity... That sounds wonderful to say, the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when the hour, that experience becomes real to you, and it has not become that real to any of us, nor probably ever will like it did to Job, then that statement becomes profound. Profound. Because when put to the test of loss, then can you say, that statement and mean it so the experience is where the rubber meets the road rather than just uttering the words and that's what we admire about this man job who was a just man who feared god and shoot evil right that at the loss of all this which i think i don't think any of you here i don't think any of us can comprehend his loss his feelings his experience, and then the profoundness of this statement. The Lord gave. Now, he said this on the heels of just it all being taken away. 
So he knew the source. That's admirable. We should all know the source. Every human being should know that. It should be taught to the unbelieving. It should be taught in the home. It should be taught in the school. That God gives. It's all here because God made it and God gave it. And you and I, when we, anytime we entertain the thought, no matter what form the words come in, nouns, verbs, or whatever, about God and giving in the same conjunction, that's grace. That's grace. That's the grace of God. Whatever it is. So when, we, when Job says the Lord gave, and we're talk, our subject is the grace of God. Giving. Giving. That's what God does. Now, in true, and we'll get to the point, God does take. But primarily, first of all, God gives. And in fact, it's a presupposition. If God didn't give, then God couldn't take because it all comes from Him anyway. The giving and taking is all His. That's part of sovereignty, isn't it? It didn't say, Job didn't say, nor do we believe, nor does it say anywhere else in Scripture, God gives, but others take away. Or, you know, God gives, but He never takes away. No, it gives us the complete view of God's sovereignty, that He both gives and takes at His own wise discretion. And we'll get into those details. So, giving is grace, and grace is a free gift. That leads us to think, you know, that it's without obligation, and we'll talk about that. But let's just go back to the phrase, the Lord gave, and Job doesn't elaborate there, does he? But let's pause there. Let's begin a sentence, shall we, just like children in school, and write down three words, the Lord gave, and then you complete this sentence. What would you write? There's no end of possibilities. And when you're done, you wouldn't be done. None of us would ever get done. I I want you to think of that, and I want it to overwhelm you. That's the true, eternal, and living God. He's been in the giving business from the very beginning of creation. He's still in the giving business. And he's going to be the get in the giving business throughout all eternity. And again, not just the eternal bliss of the saints, but the eternal punishment of the unbelieving. God's going to be giving. We sing a song, Count Your Blessings. That's what we're talking about. The Lord gave and what? We could take the Bible and start completing that sentence. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you could get done or not. I don't know if you could be, any of us would be comprehensive enough to get everything the Bible says about what God has given. And if we did get through with that, we could lay the Bible aside and then we could pick up the history books and start writing and filling those things in about the things God has given. And if and when we got done with that, we could just start writing from our own personal experience of a few years that we've lived upon this earth and we'd never get done. The Lord gave. It is a humbling statement. It is a profound statement. It is a God-honoring, magnifying statement. It demands attention. It demands praise. It demands adoration. It demands worship. Anytime we put those two words together in any form of God giving. Job knew the source. 
so should we. Because God gave, blank, is a never-ending sentence. God gives, as we mentioned, and the very fact that He gives means it's without obligation. It can't be grace if it's without obligation. When we work, we've earned a paycheck. It's not grace that your employer hands you a paycheck. You earned it. You worked for it. If he gives you a bonus, that's a different story. You didn't put no hours in for a bonus. He just walks up and gives you, quote, unquote, the tip or whatever it may be. You didn't work for that. Unearned, undeserved. That's what we're talking about. God gives without obligation. It says something of the being and nature of God. I believe James captured it, that famous verse in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down. Okay? Direction is very important. Cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turn. And everything God gives is good. Now here again, this is a challenge to us. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe in God's sovereignty? I've got pneumonia, you know. God gave me pneumonia. How am I supposed to rejoice in that, you know, and so forth and so on. Well, if you're sick, it's no accident. God will work it to good. That's what he says. The thing in and of itself may not be good at the time, but it serves a good purpose ultimately. That's, God's, that's what God has said in that respect. But he gives according to the good pleasure of his will. It's a one-way street when it comes from giving. It's up there, down here. You know, a lot of people talk about what the earth brings forth and gives. Well, yes, that's true. Plants do grow upward out of the ground and give us the bounty of their fruit. But without God's blessing from above and rain from above, they're not going to do it from below. So ultimately, we don't, we don't praise the earth. And I, in fact, I don't even use the term except to uh, rebuke it, Mother Earth, you know. Uh, Father God, Mother Earth is a, is a bad concept all the way around. The earth is God's creation. It's our environment. It's no mother to us. I don't even like the sense that it's a mother in the sense that God took the dirt that he made you know, to make the first man. I would never say, nor would I preach and stand on such a theological premise that the earth was Adam's mother. No, God was his father. And that's where we leave it, right there. That's all we need to know in that respect. But God gives, and get this, because you cannot accept the full sovereignty of God if you don't get it right from the get-and-go get here, that God gives without obligation. God is not obligated by no one or anything except himself to do anything. He is the one eternal God. No obligation. No strings attached to God. He gives. He created. He created Adam. He created Eve. He created everything in the creation according to the good pleasure of his will. And everything that has happened then and since then and is happening and will happen is according to the good pleasure of His will. There's never been a stutter. There's never been a stammer. There's never been a pause. There's never been a hiccup in anything. It's all unfolding 
millisecond by millisecond exactly according to what he always determined it would. And he has the ability, the power to bring it to pass. And first of all, the wisdom to design it in the first place. That's a belief in the total sovereignty of God. And that's what Job believed. God does not give except, again, accept it according to his will and his purpose. He's not the doorman that when we ring the bell, he comes running to give. No. And again, this is a miss conception of God to those that don't know God that and they've been told many times by other people you know and there's people running around today this is what you do and God will answer every time he'll give you everything you want every time you want it when you want it blah 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 blah. that's not that's that's an incomplete picture of God that's picking out little choice tidbits and making (laughs) making your potato man God No, God does what He wants to according to His will and purpose. We are told to bring our petition, our wants, our needs before God, but God gives not according to our wants, nor according to how much we pray, but ultimately according to His will. And certainly not according to our demands in that right. There are actually people who preach that. You, you, you have a right to just demand things of God. You know, like you can hold somebody to their word in this life. Well, you promise me that this. You don't come. To, that's not what it means to boldly come to the throne of grace. But that's the way some people change that. God gives according to our needs. Think of that. And he knows what our needs are better than we do. When I first said that, you might think, well, I don't know. I don't know if he always, you know, there's things I needed God. Well, he knew you didn't need it if you didn't get it. Again, we're talking about a God who is so much smarter than we are. I mean, that's just such a cheap statement to say God's smarter than we are. I mean, he made us. He made each one of us by design. Your fingerprint's not mine or anybody else. I mean, get a hold of that. Okay? He knows when one hair of your head falls out. He knows where every bird is, and whether it's a sparrow or not, the one that just fell over in the millisecond I mentioned that, he knows when and where it made its grave and why it died. He is om- omniscient. He knows it all. So if he knows it all and things like that in detail... He certainly knows our needs better than we do. And we certainly need to embrace that. He gives also under the only obligation of His promise. And I want to briefly touch on this and we're going to move on. But in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, you know, Jesus taught the disciples there about get your eyes off the material things and what you want and think you need and get your eyes on spiritual things and recognize all that stuff you want and need you think is just secondary and it begins in verse 25 of chapter 6 speaking about this take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you drink for your body what you'll put on is not the life more than me the body more than raiment and when he says take no thought it don't mean just be an airhead And just think manna's going to fall out of the sky. No, don't worry about it. 
That's what he's saying. Don't take excessive thought. Should you be thoughtful? Absolutely, because we're supposed to work to provide. The first man was told to do that. That's our responsibility. But don't take God out of the picture, the provider. And then he uses the example of the fowls of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in their barns, but your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are they not much better than the, are ye not much better than they? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I've sat at the house and watched them little old chickadees climber, you know, hop around in the morning while I sit there and drink a cup of coffee on the bark of a pine tree. And they'll upside down, sideways, top side up, looking for a little bug in there and what have you. That's what this is talking about. That bird looking for that bug, that breakfast, God provides it. Wherever he finds it. God put it there for him. You say you're being silly. No, I'm not being silly. I'm just being accurate. And I'll I'll tell you, you may think I'm fanatical. Somebody may be when I say, I don't believe it could have been any other bug on that morning for that bird except that bug. That's how much I believe that God is in control of everything. And now I'm going to throw you mine in another warp. Again, we're talking about things we can see. We don't even know about the microorganisms. We don't even know about the proteins, enzymes, and the things in our body. You know, we're still learning. God controlling everything. I don't know. They probably got a number for how many cells is in our body. We'll just think of it. God's in control of every one of them. He reads on, which are you by taking can, uh, taking thought, here again, wearing or fretting or trying to do something about it can add a cube or a statue. Why do you take thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow's cast in the oven, shall not he much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Amen. And boy, that hits us between the eyes on the little faith, doesn't it? Therefore, take no thought, saying, again, take no thought. Doesn't mean don't think about it, don't provide, don't make effort, but don't worry, fret, and be paranoid about it. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whither shall we be clothed? For after these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knoweth you have need. Got it? Need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And notice this. This is God's own promise from the lips of Christ Himself. All these things shall be added unto you. Okay? Now, it don't promise the type of clothing or the type of food or the type of house. But it does promise those things will be provided in some form. And it will, again, not be according to our wants every time, but according to our need as God sees it. The Lord gave. The Lord giveth. Job knew the grace of God in giving. So should we. The Lord taketh away. Did you just have a reaction when I said that? You know, that is the part that humanly we stumble at it. We like the giving part. Wherever it is, whatever it is. I mean, that, that appeals to our fallen nature. Sinners like to be given. Sadly, things rather than salvation. Wealth rather than Christ, but nevertheless, as sinners, we like things that are given. 
And as sinners, reciprocally, we don't like things taken away. This is hard pill to swallow. This is the one that's the real litmus test of just how much do we believe in the sovereignty of God. And if we don't really embrace that first point, that it's all a gift anyway, then we're going to kind of bow up on the taking away. It is a grace for God to give. Remember, we did not earn it. We did not deserve it. What do you have today that you really earned? What do you have today you really deserve? Bottom line is, if you really get this, you can heartily, sincerely acknowledge everything you are, you have, you ever did have, you ever will have, is a gift. I mean, really think of this. I mean, don't, don't get to 99% and still be holding on to some little tidbit of something that you feel like you deserve or you earned. And, of course, the world is full of people and they're growing by number every day because they're being taught that they deserve, they deserve, they deserve, they deserve, they deserve. You won't find that in the Bible. You won't find a happy ending. I'll put it this way. You will find deserve in the Bible, but you won't find a happy ending attached to it. Deserve is not what we want to talk about. What we want to talk about is grace. There's where the good stuff is. So again, when we fully accept it's all a gift anyway, then it does not hurt or become distasteful that it can be also be taken away as easily as it was given. Think of it this way. I like this thought. Think about this, that everything you've ever had and ever will have, it's on loan. God gave it, but He just loaned it to us. Still His. And the reason I say that is because it puts us in the proper place of stewardship rather than ownership. As sinners, we want to think of ownership, don't we? I mean, a little baby will, I don't guess they have rattles anymore, but will clasp a rattle in its hand and hold on to it for dear life, won't it? I mean, you know, that, that, that's the way we come into the world, grabbing things and holding on to them for dear life, you know? I mean, and it never goes away in our old human nature, grabbing, getting, and accumulating. But just visualize, think about, meditate that, Whatever we have, it's God's gift, and we're just stewards of it. We're just stewards. And one day when our labor is over, it all goes back to Him. I mean, we need it to somebody else, but in reality, that's life. I remember years ago on the highway of a certain place, I remember about where it is, I won't take the time to tell you about it, but again, it, it gave a sign and it an address, maybe a ranch name or something, and instead at the bottom, you know, many times you read those things, it'll say owners, so-and-so. This one said, and that's what got my attention, stewards, uh, John and Jane Doe, you know. Stewards, not owners. They had the right perspective. That's what we're talking about with Job. He realized it was God's anyway. Now, Job was a, a great benefactor of God's grace, wasn't he? He had 10 children, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 or 500 what I call jennies, female asses. You don't need a lot of males. 500 female asses, 
500 yoke of oxen, that means a thousand of them, and a whole great household of servants. I mean, how many people would it take to take care of that much livestock? Not, and not then take care of the household and everything else. I mean, God had given to Job much more than he normally gives to most of his children. Very blessed. But I would say to you again, one of the reasons he did that was for the very purpose of, of all that happened to Job. But anyway, Job saw all of that different than the world sees it. I believe with all my heart, based on our text and what he said, Job saw he was only a steward. He didn't really see that it, any of that stuff had his permanent brand on it. When he looked at any of them or all of that stuff, he saw, this is God's. God blessed me with it. God gave it to me. And therefore, he has the right to take it back anytime he wants to because it's not mine. Now, you know, if you have something and own it and somebody else takes it, that's thievery, isn't it? There's laws against that. That's wrong. They have no obligation to take what you own. But to us as believers, when we realize, well, it's all God's anyways. Thieves may violate man's law, but God is breaking no law when he simply give, takes back what he has blessed us with and we didn't deserve it to start. That's where Job was. Think just for a moment also. I've got to be quick here, but what all does God give? Well, again, we said everything, but break it down in detail a little bit in order to appreciate. God gave you life, first of all, or you wouldn't even be here. You're still here, so God has sustained you for so X number of years, you know? I mean, again, they didn't roll none of you in here in the wheelchair this morning or bring you in on a gurney. We walked in here, every one of us. We have enough health to do that. God gave us that. And if he didn't, we'd be in a gurney or in a wheelchair or in the grave. I mean, just break it down. Count those blessings. If we have any money, if we have our bills paid, if we have a house, if we have a car, if we have two cars, whatever we have, God gave it. I mean, let me challenge you in this, going back to what we did before. Just try to find something God didn't give you that you have. And when you find it, come back and tell me. I want to know. I want to know what it is. And you know, our human depraved minds will try to do that. It'll, it'll run the gamut of, okay, there's got to be something somewhere. What? And yet the spiritual side of us knows you're looking in vain. You can look all you want to, but everything you come up with that will enter your mind, you will have to say if you're honest and tell the truth, God gave it. Well, I went to college and I got... Oh, God gave you that knowledge. God gave you that ability to learn. God get well, you know, he's a carpenter, he's a welder, she's a singer. God gave that skill. It, it may have been in your parents' DNA somewhere or some training, but, but God ultimately gives us all of those things. Satan accused God of putting a hedge around Job. He did. God gives that also. Peace, protection from enemies. Because when he turned Satan loose, the hedge come down and guess who showed up? The Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. God does that. God can put up the hedge. God can take down the hedge. So as surely as he gives all that, he has a right to take it if he so pleases. And the thing we need to be reminded of when he does the taking, as unpleasant as it may seem, the taking's for our good, just like the giving was for our good. 
Now, again, anything he gives, he can take. And as Christians, we're going to experience that. Anybody in life is going to experience giving and taking. Most people just don't know the concept I'm talking about, that it, where it comes from. Most people think they earned it. And then they complain and whine and groan when it disappears. We have no right to do that. God uses, and I must mention this on this point before we make the third point quickly, that we see in this story, God can use any kind of means in giving or taking. I didn't get into this in the giving. I spent too long on it. But in the taking, we see very clearly here. Satan is the ultimate instrument here in taking all that stuff I told you Job has. And the first thing we see is the enemies, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. Just instruments in God's hand given to Satan whereby the means can be accomplished that he loses this. Enemies, and then what do we also see? Fire came down from heaven. Natural disaster, weather, lightning, whatever it was, storm, whatever. And we see every day, seems like in this country, 365 days a year, there's either a fire, a flood, an earthquake, a drought, something, right? And when all of these, quote-unquote, natural things of the weather or whatever occur, they take, don't they? They take lives, they take homes, they take crops, they take, they take and they take and they take and they take. These are the secondary things. A thief breaks into your home. We've had that happen. Those of us who experienced burglaries and takes things, right? You no longer have it. A disease can take your health. A murder can take your life. But remember, these are secondary instruments that God has allowed to happen in the taking process. Those are only the means. I said that at the funeral the other day. You know, uh, uh, ultimately life and death is in God's hand. A coroner's report may show all kinds of things as to why a person died. But ultimately, the wages of sin is why every one of us will die. Those are only the secondary causes of how we die. All right, third thing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, here comes the hardest part, probably of all in the greatest litmus test, is... Can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord, as Job did, equally to the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away? That's the telltale sign of just how much we believe in the sovereignty of God. Do you feel the same sincerity when you say, the Lord gave and the Lord take away? If you do, then you got it. You got it. The first part's easy. We said that a while ago. It's easy to, to praise the name of God for His giving. But can we do that when He takes? Job did. Job did. Let's learn from Job. few things are said here that prove... He was just as sincere about the taking as he was about the giving. Again, think, I want you to really think about it equally here. Okay? 100% of the giving, 100% of the taking. Not, not more of this and less of that. He could say it, blessed be the name of the Lord. He took it. Blessed be the name of the Lord, he gave it. And just, that's really believing and trusting in God. 
I believe that's why he was called by God a just man. He had this down. How do you know, preacher, that he really did? How do you know that he didn't just say that and mean the given part more than the taken part? Well, let's look at what he does here. First of all, when this stuff began to happen, we don't read about a panic-stricken individual, do we? In fact, we don't read about any reaction at all until the one where the kids are all dead, died. And then verse 20 of our text simply tells us, what does it say there? I want to get it right. Verse 20 says, Job arose, rent his mantle, that's tearing his robe or outer garment, shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. That's not the natural reaction to loss to anybody. That's a supernatural reaction. I mean, some people lose a dollar and they go flip their lid. You know what I'm saying. Some little tidbit of material something, people just flip out over the loss of it. It's, you're advertising what you believe if you do. How we react to loss, not how we react to giving, really tells our character. It's easy to say thank you and mean it and what have you, but the real, the real rubber meeting road is going to be when it's taken. How do we react? Job didn't panic. You get the idea? You can just see that. Can you visualize it? He gets up, not in a panic, not in a haste, not, in a, not delirious, not screaming, squalling, upside down and everything else and wrong side out. It seems like soberly, calmly here. This was the normal thing people did to mourn these actions that he took. But get this. We can, we can, even, we can understand all three of them. Okay, rent his mantle. That'd be an easy thing to do. Tear something up. You know, I mean, he rent his clothing. Shaved his head. That was an unnatural thing. But that's what they did in mourning. And then he fell to the ground. Well, yeah, you think anybody fell to the ground with the loss that he did. But... He didn't fall to the ground because he was just mourning. He worshipped. What? Worship? How do you worship when you've lost everything? The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The very words show that. It shows he knew where it come from. It admits submissively that God has the right to take it back because he gave it of his own free will to start with, and that God should be blessed in the whole process. And to worship is to reverence and give thanks and praise to God for what God does, the giving and the loss. It's astounding. It's amazing. But it shouldn't be foreign to us. We see in that verse 20, humble submission to the will of God. We don't see, do you read of a complaint anywhere in this first or second chapter? No complaints whatsoever. He worshipped. And I've got to point this out quickly and we'll wrap this up. But Job, being the just man that he was and believing in God's sovereignty, he didn't get hung up where most people got hung up. You know what a lot of people would do? And I hope none of us would do it. And I hope we're better Christians than to do this. Some people would see no further than the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, the storm, <laughs> the secondary causes. 
Job was a man he was, and so should we be in looking past those things and seeing that this was the will of God. Now, I'm not saying people shouldn't take people to court and sue for people in accountable cause. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's perfectly just, legal. And if you're led by the Spirit of God to do that as a Christian, then do it. You know, the recompense for some something somebody or somehow has done. But I hope that in doing it, you can look beyond it and see it's not that person or that cause or that element or whatever's fault that ultimately God will for this to happen. What, it was God's will for that person to murder my son, my daughter? If it happened, yes. There's no exception to God's will. I'm not saying God was pleased with it. I'm not saying God was happy about it. But if it happened, it was ordained and predestinated of old. If, it, if there's one thing that's not, we've got to throw it all away. So again, Job shows his character and his firm belief in the sovereignty of God in that, in that again, he didn't just see the Sabians or the Chaldeans or the weather or whatever, you know. And you all have seen it and known it. People will curse the thief, curse the murderer, curse the weather, curse the ground, curse the storm. You know, there's, I, I hate to say it, but probably there's people in... Florida and these other places where the hurricane hit that's probably still cursing Ian. That's not having very good foresight into the things of God, is it? I pray Christian people would see more. He understood that God was in control of it. Chapter 2 and verse 10, a familiar verse with this. His wife said, curse God and die. Verse 9, he said, what? I mean, can't I can see that man doing it. I mean... You know what an expression like that would look like? What? I mean, what? What do you? Are, you know, we would use. Are you crazy? Shall we not? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And then a further proof in that verse: in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Verse twenty-two of our text: Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't vent his frustration to God. God, I don't know why you're doing this. I know you do all things for my good, but I, I certainly don't. No. He was on the ground worshiping God. Amen. It's uh, astounding. It's astounding. May God help us to embrace the belief and the view that Job had of Satan. And if you came here this morning or somebody's hearing me now before when we started this and you didn't embrace it, I hope you do now. I hope, I hope if you were struggling with any of that or if any of us were. And if you weren't, that's okay too. This is just further assurance of what we already know and what we already believe. And if we walk out that door and God takes everything every one of us has got, I hope by God's grace we can say what Job said. Or if it happens to one of us, whatever. God gives that ability and that grace to embrace we are the recipients of His grace, and He has every right to do everything He does, and yet He has promised to do it for our good. That's a win-win situation. God bless you.